0: Why aren't you asking all of the creative people to lift the national mood? People are going to feel lost. People are going to feel anxious. People are going to feel depressed. People are going to feel suicidal. People are going to feel isolated and lonely. We need you to be more creative than you've ever been.
1: Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community,
2: and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is The Hey Change Podcast.
1: Today's episode of The Hey Change Podcast is sponsored by To Be Determined, a career services firm that provides coaching for individuals and organizations. Every player who wants a winning career needs a coach, someone to help you leverage your strengths to be more effective in your current role and prepare for the next one. Whether you are looking to transition to a higher level in your organization, develop your leadership skills, or navigate choppy political waters, To Be Determined can help. As a socially conscious firm, they welcome the opportunity to support marginalized people with empathy understanding, and a passion to see their clients succeed on their own terms. To Be Determined offers a complimentary consultation to understand your needs and see how they might help. For anyone looking for work with meaning and purpose, with a payoff that's more than a paycheck, check out the Hey Change podcast show notes for details on taking the next step. After all, your future is still to be determined. So be determined. Tom Foolery is a London-based 26-year-old writer, performance artist, and filmmaker. He co-founded Odds On Productions, working as a producer on the film Hilda, which became an official selection for the Raindance Film Festival in 2019 and the Moscow Film Festival. Tom's mission from the beginning has been to present a message of hope, optimism,
2: and socially constructive and progressive ideas through his words. Tom's poem, The Great Realization, was released during the early days of the pandemic and has now been viewed over 60 million times and been transcribed into languages from every corner of the globe. Multiple celebrities shared this video, and I actually first discovered Tom when I saw his video on the Drew Barrymore's Instagram page, and I was so struck by how beautiful and needed this message felt, especially in these times. It was so special to have Tom on our podcast, and something that I really loved about him was how in touch he is with his playfulness and inner child, yet how powerful he is with his words and his presence. Robin, what did you take away from this conversation?
1: Wow. Something that I just loved about our conversation with Tom is how he came to the conversation with such openness. And such truth, like he felt like he really presented his whole full self so authentically. And that's a real treat, you know, when it doesn't feel like someone's hiding anything or trying to put on a mask to be a certain way. And one of the concepts that has really changed the way that I see people is how artists play a very special and specific role in our humanity. And that's that they are a form of essential workers, artists, poets, creatives, dreamers, These are the people who help us to make meaning in the really dark times and to transition and transform as we grow and evolve as a humanity. He is so dear and so open and he has such a kind spirit. This conversation was really uplifting. I'm so excited for you to have a listen to everything that we learned from Tom. Let's dive right in.
2: Hey Tom, thank you for coming to Hey Chain. So good to have you.
0: Oh, thank you both for uh taking the time to speak to me. (laughs) It's it's um yeah, it's the best use of time at the moment, really, having conversations with (laughs) interesting people.
2: More screen time. Well, we uh, we wanted to talk to you because you created this amazing video, which is called The Great Realization, and that absolutely went viral during the early days of lockdown. I think I actually saw it the first time at Drew Barrymore's Instagram. And after seeing it on hers, I saw it on so many other people's, I'm like, wow, this guy made something incredible. And when I watched the video, I was like, actually, I've seen it many times. And every time I start crying, that's how effectful it's been to me. And it's no surprise that it's become super successful. It has to date, I think, over 60 million views. So I just kind of want to ask you, did you anticipate any of this at all? Like when you put it out, like what were you thinking when you first published this video to the internet?
0: That is a, what were you thinking is an excellent <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, well, no, I, that's, I'm being silly. Um, no, I did not anticipate any of the, uh, reaction. Um, I can I can quite I can quite truthfully say that it was a very it was a very uh, organic happening in the sense that the motivations like like I've been, I've been aware <laughs> I've been aware as we all are that um, certain people put things on the internet and those things go viral. Like I'm aware of that process, but you know I. <laughs> When, when I started making these poetry videos, the, the, the motivation behind, um, you know, behind the actions was purely actually um, to create a sense of, firstly, <laughs> uh, a way of filling the days spent with my little brother and sister, which is an easier thing said than done, right? Because you've got two seven-year-olds and, you know, I'm not a parent And I I feel like I went from the position of having no responsibility for anyone but myself to having the responsibility for two seven-year-olds pretty much all day, like overnight. And I was totally, you know, not prepared. And I mean, I was expected, I'm not complaining, but I was expected to be like their teacher and like the person who cooks them food, and the person who entertains them and plays with them, and all of those things you can only do within your house. It's like, whew, I don't know what to do about that. And so I kind of actually turned to poetry and filmmaking in blind panic because I was like, I need to do, I need to do something that's creatively stimulating, both for myself and for these guys. Right. So that was. That was largely motivation number one, and motivation number two was everyone in my family uh, who's above me in terms of age uh, is medical. So my mum is a midwife, my dad is a doctor, and my big sister's a doctor, and they're all working in the hospitals, you know. And we're we're standing outside and clapping um, for these people quite rightly because they're you know they're the heroes of the moment. And I was the person in my family who wanted to go into the arts and wanted to do filmmaking and poetry. And I felt completely useless, you know. I felt like my job had disappeared, so I had no income. Um, and I felt like the, the, the government, you know, is just telling you to either retrain or wait for it all to be over, but there's no indication of when that might be. And I just felt completely, you know, impotent. And I was like, I need to... I need to be active I need to be useful um, for my own mental health, as well as maybe for other people's. If, if, if the things that I create are helpful to me, then maybe they're helpful to someone else. And so all these things were whirling around in my head, like a little washing machine and it led to let's get creative. Let's make things. And the first, the great realization was the fourth video that we made. And for the first three, you know, I look back at them and they're shaky beyond belief. In terms of, you know, I didn't know how to film myself or sound record myself or light myself or, you know, I wasn't the world's best editor, you know, or colour grip, like all of these things, you know, is, is, it's, it's a steep learning curve. And by the time we got to the fourth, I remember thinking before we put it out, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the hang of this, like I, I kind of, I'm figuring out the, the technicalities, so now maybe I can think a little bit more about the messages, And I remember while I was editing that one thinking this is the first time I'm not thinking about the filmmaking elements I'm thinking about what what are you trying to say and the things that I was trying to say were the things you know that I believed in and from the reaction it seems like a lot of other people believed in those those things as well.
1: Definitely I mean that video just hits you know your heart center so deeply I mean I I love when you talk about like the little doubts that creep, and how like I just so resonate with that, as do millions of people, which is amazing. Um, when you're when you're coming up with ideas, your creative process, what does that look like? I mean, do you do you feel like sometimes like so because so I write some poetry as well. There's lots of poetry in my family. Sometimes it feels like poetry, like poems come down, and you're like, quick, write this down. And other mm-hmm. times it's like you you hear like a combination of words, and it's like, oh, I should build on that what 's your creative flow like when you're when you're coming up with your poems
0: that's a really nice question um, i I believe that you i don't think that you can force creativity but I think you can facilitate creativity if that makes sense so um, I think there are lots and lots of people in this world who are deeply deeply creative deeply creative, and yet they're and, and I include myself in this, I'm not, I'm not in any way making an analysis of people that, that aren't also me, uh, but I think that many, many, many deeply creative people don't produce creative things uh, because we are continually distracted. Um, mm. You know, And it's so powerful. It's so powerful. It's powerful to the point that um, it's actually it's actually such an overwhelming undertaking to uh, produce anything um particularly you know particularly things that are incredibly delicate like ideas you know and and letting letting ideas germinate and letting discovering which ideas are you know have have some value and which which are you know um more thought through and then which are more fleeting and it's like no don't pursue that one because we have so many ideas right and we don't have the the time or the resources to turn them all into creations so you've got to you've got to discriminate between your ideas you know which which are the ones that need to exist totally and the, and the, and the difficult thing is like you know I'll I'll decide that I want to write I'll decide that I, I want to make something um and I'll, I'll make the conscious decision that I want to write something and then you know, you sit down I think the classic mistake that many people make, oh, I'll stop talking about many people. I'll just talk about myself. The classic mistake that I make is I'll sit at my desk and I'll decide I want to write something and I'll have my computer in front of me and I'll have my phone on the desk and I'll, you know, be in my bedroom and you know what happens? Well, the first thing that happens is uh, you get a, you get a WhatsApp message. And then you're like, okay, what's, and and it's, you know, it's a group chat. Like, it's not, you know, it's not a life or death thing. It'll be like someone sent a gift to a group chat. It's like, okay, now I'm thinking about that. Then you'll get back. (laughs) Then you'll get back. Um, And then you think, oh, I need to Google something. And then you'll see like something on YouTube or, or something on Facebook or a video that's incredibly compelling. And then 15 minutes has passed. And then your little brother will wander into your bedroom and ask if you want to have a lightsaber battle. And maybe you'll go and do that. And then maybe it's tea time and you've got to have dinner. And what you find, what I find all the time is that I intended to write something. I wanted to write something. And there are plenty of things that I could have written. And now 12 hours have passed and I have nothing to show for these good intentions. And so that's why I think you can't force yourself to be creative, but you can force Facilitate it. And you can figure out what are the things that are most likely. What are the conditions that you have to create that are going to allow you to have a fighting chance of having an idea? And for me, it's actually uh, getting out of the house. I go on. I go on walks um, to somewhere green. You know, and I live in London, in a city where you know there's not as much greenery around as I would like. But you you find certain places. Uh, I don't take my phone any time I, you know, like it feels weird leaving the house without a phone, like don't get me wrong. But if I take my phone, then I don't get anything done really. But I take something that I can write on. Um, I also, I I take, um, I mean, all of these things, they work for me. I'm not saying they would work for everyone, but I take a football just because um, it's easier for me to justify being in a park if I'm kind of just like, kicking the ball around. Do you know what I mean? Like even if I'm just doing like keep the uppies. The purpose is not to go to practice football, but it's like this is, you know, this is something my body can do that's kind of automatic and my brain can kind of think about things. Anyway, um, I do a lot of that and I try and I try and get myself to a point where the idea is crystallized and then and then I go home, you know, where it's where it's warm <laughs> and I try and, turn the idea into into words in a in a concentrated period and then if you're lucky you've got something that you can then commit to turning into a video over the next week or so
2: I love so many things you bring up because I feel similarly I too I love to write and always have loved to write but I am the same way I actually need to get up in the morning uh, and I meditate a little bit and then my absolute most creative session is those hours before I let the email come in or, uh, or any text message. I will ke- keep my phone on airplane mode. Cause I put it on airplane every single night before I go to bed and I will not turn it on until after my creativity yeah. hour or whatever is over. Because like you said, it all, it all it takes is for one DM on Instagram or some tag or something and you lost it. Right. And I think so facilitating creativity is super super powerful i think also um i think something that i love about you just like hearing you talk like i can sense that you have a lot of playfulness to you that you're actually allowing to be be part of your life like you play with your younger siblings you bring a ball to the park and i think sometimes as we grow older we kind of lose touch with creativity because we feel like we have to be busy we have to do this work and like we have to create i think there's such a high um like high standard from ourselves from a very early stage in the creative process, where like this needs to be excellent, right? And so yeah. like we're forgetting that well, at some point during this whatever path, there has to be an idea that sparks, and that idea can only come if you actually allow for the, the creative space. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you for bringing that up. And I'm just kind of like I'm just curious because you just you said that this was something that just came out of you figuring out how to spend time with your youngest siblings, but. I also feel like you must have been kind of born a storyteller like there must have been some part of you that's always been wanting to to be a storyteller or to to create stories or write poetry or is that something that's been a part of you or is that just kind of evolved over
0: the recent years I've always wanted to be lots of things (laughs) that's the funny that's the funny conflict in my head because I think I've always wanted to be and then I can list (laughs) <laughs> like an amount of things that it's unrealistic to have always wanted to be. So like, I was convinced I wanted to be an actor for a very long time, and then, and then I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And I thought that they were the coolest people around because I thought, wow, you know, if you're an actor, you're performing, but you're saying, you know, someone else's words. If you're a stand-up comedian, I, I looked at stand-up comedians and I thought, wow, they're telling the truth. And they're telling the truth that, like, polite people won't even tell. You know, they're telling, because I, I, I'm a big, big believer in freedom of speech. I think it's the most unlikely thing that could have ever happened. And we don't even, <laughs> we don't even, um, we don't even have it uh, in, in, to the extent that could be possible. But we have it much more than could be possible as well, if that makes sense. And I looked at the stand-up comedians in our society and I thought they have it most. Uh, so I was convinced that, that that was what I loved. And then um, and then I fell deeply in love with filmmaking. And I thought, I really want to be a filmmaker. I want to, you know, I want to tell stories visually. And I wanted to learn about how to use cameras and how to capture sound and, um, and uh, to manipulate colour and all of these things. And then, and then I, got, I got sucked into watching people rap battle on YouTube. Uh, and that took up about a year and a half of my life, really watching <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's three major leagues. Like, there's a league in the UK called Don't Flop, in Canada called uh, King of the Dot, and in in the US called Smash URL. And hundreds of hours of of people rap battling, and I just thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life because I'm not I'm not a fighter, right? Like, I'm not an incredibly physical. Um, person like in school I was always the one trying to make the kids laugh I wasn't the one trying to defend himself physically so suddenly I'd found this subculture of people who had real conflict and took each other apart you know based only on their language and their words and their ability to hold rhyme and structure and metaphor and pacing and it wasn't you know, I think poetry has a uh, uh, has a has an image crisis, really, particularly with young men. I really think it has an image crisis in that it's it's, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, the school I went to was was a relatively, you know, a relatively rough school. You know, that I mean, the, <laughs> it, w- it would have been easy to go to that school and not have a good time, if that makes sense. And, you know, if you walk around telling everyone you want to be a poet, well, that's one of the ways to tell, <laughs> to, to give yourself not a good time. But these rap battlers, you know, they, they were fierce and they were, you know, they were bold and decisive and the crowds were charged. And I just thought, wow. And so I became obsessed with that for a long time. And then um, and then later when I went to university, I started going to open mic notes to watch um, spoken word poets. And it was, the, it was... It was around lockdown, or no, maybe maybe before lockdown, a few years before lockdown, when I, I kind of I realised that I'd always been in love with these few things like acting, comedy, spoken word, poetry, rap battling, filmmaking, and I thought, what happens if you just put all of those things together? You know, um, because a lot of spoken word um, is different to the way that I like to do spoken word. I like to approach it more uh, as storytelling. Then, uh, a lot of spoken word is actually uh people releasing their internal monologues right people like expressing something that's bubbling to get out of them you and know a way like they feel I, about something like yeah it's, exactly it's, very much,
1: it's like one line after the next after the next just like flowing at you and yeah. It can be intense.
0: It can be very intense, and no, no discredit to those people. You know, that's that's what they want to do. That's their art form. You know, more power to them. But for me, I was like, I want it. I want to take. I want to take the listener on a journey, like the kind of journey that you get taken on when you watch a film. You know, um, with characters and settings and scenarios that play out that teach you something. So. Um,
1: and your pacing as well. I mean, the, the way that you tell stories, there's a lot of time and room and space in between lines and things like that, which allows, I think, listeners to really take in the words.
0: Well, bless you. Thank you. Well, mm-hmm. one of the <laughs> one of the one of the things that uh occurred to me in the last year, uh really, or no, a bit before that actually. Um, I feel like a lot of people, when they, when they discover their art form, you know, the, the instinct is to make your creations sound as complicated and complex and difficult as possible, because then it, it, it sets up this feeling that you have some kind of mastery of that thing. And therefore, you know, it's impressive what you're doing and you should be listened to. That's all well and good, but when I, when I ask myself honestly about what the goals are, <laughs> the goals, the goal is accessibility. So it's like, you want as many people as possible to understand this. Right. And it's like, I want with the great realization. I I, I was trying to write a poem that my seven-year-old brother could understand. And my 77 year old grandmother could understand also one of the things that I think helped that poem tremendously was I spoke quite slowly and I used very simple English. So people all over the world who maybe English is their second language, you know, they could follow what the the, the points were that I was making. And I think that should always be the goal. You know, I try, I try to restrict myself from trying to do verbal backflips, you know, to make it so complicated that, people start thinking, you know, if someone hears your poem and they don't, you know, they think, I don't know what that means. Then I think, oh, you know, is that what you wanted to achieve? Like probably not, (laughs) you know, you want people to to get what you're trying to say.
2: I just want to say my mum who is my Swedish mother, she watched it and she was like, this is so good. So just that that speaks to itself that you you really achieved that and not say she's really good at English, but she has a hard time when it gets too fast or sometimes when I talk, she can't follow. So just to say that she loved the video, it, it really is great feedback. And I think something that the listeners can take away from this, because a lot of people tuning in are people who are very concerned by climate change or something um, that is related to the environment. And many times the biggest frustration, and I can speak to this too, is like not having people understand why it's important. And you feel like there's this huge divide between what you believe in and what you're so passionate about, and then just people not getting it. And I think we have to remember the power in words and how we speak those words and how do you purvey a message that's actually inclusive. So people feel like they understand what you're trying to talk about. And that's why I think your video went viral because it does speak to the things that all of us care about. And I think deep inside, we all understand that there needs to be a shift in how we live our lives. There needs to be a shift in how we create society and what we like find to be normal and what we find to be quote unquote successful. Like how are you successful in this world? And there's so many things that need to happen. And it's just so interesting to me that, you know, I think we deep inside know that there is a different way of doing things, but how do we get there? I'm curious to learn, what are some of the feedback you've gotten from this video? I mean, we talked about this earlier, a lot of really famous people shared it, but like, I I assume that you were super surprised by its success, but what are some stuff that people have been saying um, that kind of gave it the, the magnitude of success that it actually had?
0: so many things have happened uh, in the last, um, so many things have happened to me in the last nine months as a result of, as a result of this very simple story, right? It's, it's, it, 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 it's quite, um, it's quite overwhelming to me, the thought not, and I I, I really, I really mean this, not the thought, wow, Tom, you know, you, you, you made a poem that, that everyone liked. It's, it's amazing to me that that such a simple uh story was so needed. You know, take away take away the creator because it's not, you know, it has to be more than an individual ego trip, right? <laughs> because like that's such that's such a that's such a low resolution outcome. Then if that's if that's what it's all about, then that's 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 a deep shame. It's like the bigger question, I think, is why did so many people need to hear that? and the the answer the answer that I come to when I ask myself that question properly and when I mean it, is that the the, the culture that we're wrapped in is um right, so this is the way that i've uh, I've articulated this in in other interviews. It's like the feeling that I had when I wrote that poem was I turned on the you know, you call anyone, you call your mum, you call your best friend you hear the tone of fear in their voice. You know, you, you, you pick up a newspaper on, on your way to the supermarket or on the way to the park and you read a headline that says, we will never recover. Um, you know, theatres will never open again. The, the entertainment industry will die. You know, chaos, panic. Um, you turn on the TV and you find out. Uh, you find out how many people in your country have died that day compared to how many people have died in this other country that day. So that's actually not that bad. And, you know, they're, they're all made up into like these bar graphs of, 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 of death and misery and suffering. And then and then on to another item about, you know, how many people have lost their jobs and you know, like the, the long-term effect that this is going to have on families. And I, I, found, I don't know if you've seen this film, if uh, <laughs> you've seen this film Network... Um, came out in 1976, if you haven't you must, but there's this there's this news anchor that uh, he's kind of he's kind of uh, on the verge of having a bit of a mental breakdown and he's getting fired from the from the news station and he snaps you know and on his final on his final uh, uh, address really he he kind of goes into this monologue which you could watch on YouTube it's one of the best monologues in film and ev- eventually he just starts shouting at the television, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, and he gets everyone to open their windows and shout it out the windows. And it's this wonderful scene. But anyway, I found myself in this feeling of 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 suffocation, of slow suffocation, <laughs> you know, like, like, like the air is being squeezed out of you slowly over a very long period of time of just deep, deep um, fear and negativity and uh, anxiety and depression and concern, you know, and all of these things have a place in the world. And I understand, you know, I'm not, I'm not blind to the fact that we need to know what's going on. We need to know how many people are dying. You know, we need to know how many jobs lost. I, I understand that. But if there's nothing else, you know, if there's not a shred of hope or optimism or or even an offering of here's what you can do to help because, because it's difficult, you know, right? Like where's, where I always, um, I wanted to complain uh, a bit about how, you know, the, the, I don't know how it was in Canada or the U S but in the UK, the, the, the chief medical officer and the prime minister would get up in front of the press most evenings. And they would talk about the work of the doctors and the nurses and all of the key workers and the teachers and all of these people and how grateful we were to them and how they were working as hard as they could. And the scientists were working to find a a vaccine, you know, in time. And there was this big race and they, they were pushing with everything they had, you know, and then that was it. You know, I was thinking why aren't you asking all of the creative people to lift the national mood? Like why aren't you calling upon the singers and the painters and the dancers and the, the playwrights and the filmmakers and the poets and the comedians, why aren't you then saying, so we've got this virus which is affecting all of us badly. We need, you know, we need all of the scientifically minded people to work in this way. We need all of the creatively minded people to contribute in this way, right? Because people are going to feel lost. People are going to feel anxious. People are going to feel depressed. People are going to feel suicidal. People are going to feel isolated and lonely. We need you to be more creative than you've ever been. I didn't hear that message from any world leader. You know, maybe it was out there and it, and it didn't make its way to me, but I didn't, I didn't hear it. And so I was thinking, this is a travesty, you know. This is a travesty. We're only hearing how bad things are. We're not hearing about how, how good things could be if people stepped up. You know, if people took responsibility for their communities and for their families and for their friends and for themselves, we're not hearing that from anyone. That's so true. And, and so, you know, a poem like this, I was incredibly grateful. It went viral incredibly and it, it's changed my life in a, in, a, in a way that I cannot describe. And, you know, I will I will always attribute certain things that have happened to this one poem I wrote on you know, on an afternoon of homeschooling with my little brother and sister. But I also can't help but think like, you know, (laughs) why were we so thirsty for that message? Like, why wasn't it, you know, more in abundance? And so my, my goal going forward is to, you know, I'm trying currently to launch some, um, some creative writing workshops with, uh, with kids and they're going really well. And all kids like, we do sessions and, and they'll be, in the same session, there'll be a kid from Turkey, a kid from Iran, a kid from Canada, a kid from New Zealand, you know, obviously with the time difference, we try and space them out. But it's like, like, the only thing that connects these people is their age and the fact that they like to express themselves through writing. And it's like, oh God, we need you. And no one's telling you we need you. If anything, they're telling you the opposite. They're telling you we don't need you. And it's like, it's maddening, you know? So... Uh, In answer to your question, the reaction um, was relief, really, that it was relief that messages like this um, have a place, you know.
1: Absolutely. I think that's such a brilliant point that you brought up that I actually, I hadn't thought of it until you said it just now, that our, you know, the people who are creative, you know, our creatives in our world are a resource. Yeah. They're a a fundamental resource. valuable resource. They can be not used in, in in a bad way but you know utilize that we can like uplift our creatives to support our world to help shape the world that we actually want to see which does have I think a human element of being able to express yourself like you're saying is like to be real to be honest to be mm-hmm. truthful about what's going on in your world it is hard I think in our culture for a lot of people to express themselves and um, if i could venture there i think especially men have a hard time expressing how they're feeling and poetry is a wonderful opportunity for people and and men as, especially perhaps to um, to express themselves i mean the the need for op- like optimism is so is so great um, what helps to keep you optimistic
0: i mean you you too other uh, <laughs> Other people who are doing good things uh with with um you know with with the the, the time they have and the resources they have and, um, so like the, when i was when I was writing um when I was writing the great realization the the shreds of 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 humanity and its its goodness that were like that were still shining through despite the big storm clouds you know. You see little you know people are desperate for the the good news stories because we need we need to feel you know, we need to feel like there's, there's some things, and so um you know i was i was I was noticing things well firstly, it comes from within, I think, and then secondly it comes from observation. so the things that I noticed were every day I was taking my little brother and sister to the park. Um, and running around with them, playing dodgeball or playing football or or whatever, making up games because they're seven. Like, if, if you try and play a a game with a rigid structure for too long, their, their minds go. So all the games were priced, but effectively, like, running around with them for, like, a couple of hours each day. Um, because I was cooking, I started paying more attention to what I was cooking. And also, when you're cooking for other people, you you care more about the health of other people than you do about your own health. I think often, right? So when I was only responsible for what I was eating, you know, often I would get into the habit of being really lazy very often and letting my diet go just completely by the wayside and drinking too much alcohol and all of these things. And suddenly I'm in lockdown and I, I don't really drink unless I'm socializing. And I wasn't (laughs) socialising, so I wasn't drinking much alcohol, and I was cooking better food because I wanted Kai and Sora to eat well, and so I was eating well, and I was exercising. And then I started sleeping better, Um, and then I realised that what I'd perceived to be a chore, looking after these two little people, you know, when I I entered into it, I thought, this is going to be a pain. Um, I... I kind of found that I'd wake up and I'd look forward to the things that I was going to do with them and so I thought isn't that funny you know you 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 thought that this was going to be an imposition and now now you find yourself looking forward to it like you know what's what's going on there and you know you'd look forward to that half an hour or 45 minutes before they go to bed where you're not on your phone, you're reading a story with a book, you know, you're holding a real book and they're asking you what words mean, you know, and you're talking about it. And I started noticing all of these things. And I, I thought, okay, well, we're in a really difficult moment. Definitely. You know, from my own experience, I, I lost my job, but I was aware of firsthand experiences from other people about much, much greater instances of difficulty than my own. And I was thinking, why then am I figuring out all of these things that are so good that I didn't have in 2019 when the world was supposed to be okay? You know, that, that didn't make much sense to me. I was like, <laughs> things are supposed to be worse now and why, why do I feel better, you know, inside myself? And actually through adopting responsibility, more responsibility than I've ever had to adopt before, i was finding more meaning and purpose <laughs> in everything and i was thinking that's a nice feeling you know it's it's a really nice feeling having people depending on you and and you are stepping up and doing what you need to do like that it's a it's a good feeling actually and um and a lot of a lot of people don't know that you know a lot of young people think that the the myself included think that the the solution is to uh, uh, hide and postpone responsibility for as long as possible because it will get in the way of all the fun you could be having. And it's like, okay, you can believe that. And I did believe that. And then you start to do something responsible and worthwhile. And you think, oh God, this, this, this feels really good. So there's that, that, that made me feel quite optimistic, um, about the future. The other thing is when you see people doing good where they, where they didn't have to. You know, you you see, um, you know, we had this guy, Captain Tom in the UK, who started doing laps of his garden. Um, he was 100 years old and he started doing laps of his garden to raise money for the NHS. And he went viral and raised like like 12 or like 30, I don't know what the final number was, million pounds for the NHS. And wow. You just, you just think this 100-year-old, you know, who, who'd been in World War II, like we didn't expect anything more from him. He'd done his part. And still he had more to give, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's pretty amazing. And then I started watching uh, John Krasinski's um, little YouTube series that he made, Some Good News. Yes. Which he made in lockdown for a bit. And, you know, you start seeing about the the dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice and, and people in Madrid putting their uh, electric keyboards on their balconies and playing concerts for all the other people in the balconies. And you just think, how can you not feel optimistic (laughs) you think you know people people are not cowering in their bathrooms like with the lights off you know they're they're trying to 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 spread light and positivity and i thought you know that's that's pretty compelling That's, that's good so
2: yeah i i think of so many things as you're talking the first thing i really just want to kind of mention I mean I guess let's just say this at first if someone hasn't seen the video the great realization is basically and correct me if I'm wrong but it's a video just explaining how this virus comes about and takes over the world and suddenly we realize as humans like wow we were missing out on so many things we're actually heading very fast into into the wrong direction and we were almost forced to like you know just take a stand and kind of look around and say what's not working how can we do things better and in this you birth you know, the joy for food again, and you start doing things in community and you realize that we're not alone and we're not supposed to escape our um, sense of community. Like we're actually, there's a, there's a different way of living basically that can be even yeah. better and can bring so much joy. And so that's what the great realization is about. And like you're talking about 2020 being this turning point. And I think so many things is interesting about that message. I think it's something that people needed to hear. And I relate so much to what you said about the only thing we hear is this kind of gloom and doom message and all that obviously we need to know about what's going on but then we also have to balance that out with optimism and a different kind of story and something I talk a lot about is climate optimism mm-hmm. and what are the stories we're telling ourselves there and I think definitely there's so much opportunity from the creator side and from artists and poets and um, musicians and models even to kind of help change that narrative and to help tell the stories of the world that we want to see but then also I think we have to like kind of find that agency in ourselves like what story am I telling myself every single day Uh, and I think that is something too that we have been given an opportunity to do in lockdown right like we now have more time to be more creative we now have more time to spend time with our kids or with our siblings or with my husband who happens to be the person I spend time with like just doing things for fun. And like, sometimes people get silly and dance around in the kitchen, because there's nothing else to do. But like, I think those little moments allow us to just put ourselves in a different kind of narrative around the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think that is in itself, so, so powerful. Um, So I just kind of want to just like really hone in on that. And like, you know, how, what we're choosing to tell ourselves every single day is so important, and what we choose to focus on is also really, really important. And I love all the different, um, things that you brought up that that we need to kind of just like hone in on over just listening to the news of like how many people died today and how many people are gonna die tomorrow. So finding the balance of like knowing what's going on, educating ourselves and our choices, but then, you know, what is the story I want to tell myself about tomorrow. So on that note, before we head into our rapid fire questions. What do you want to see? Like, because I think there's no going back to normal. I mean, obviously, society will kind of bounce back at some point, but I think a common theme that we all picked up from 2020 is that we can't afford to go back to normal because the great realization was that we need to change. So, what are some things that you wish to see in this new kind of future that we're building?
0: I think often, and actually, the the um, uh, the, the the climate change the the climate change story is one that i think is so important but is often told wrong in my opinion and you know what do i know but in in my opinion because i think we get used when we want people to change their behavior there's you know there's 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 like there's like two ways that you can get people to change their behavior you know um and within those two ways you the you you can find a spectrum of possibilities but i mean you can either you can either uh, tell someone off or you can try and inspire someone (laughs) effectively you know you can you know you can present someone with um you can present someone with how bad things will become if they don't change or how good things could be if they did change you know that's 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 it and i i think with um with the climate change narrative. And I think the world has room for both narratives. Like I'm not saying that it's not newsworthy to tell people that Bangladesh will be underwater in 50 years if we don't sort something out. Like that's important. You, you need to know that. And, and Greta uh, Greta Thunberg, who's going around the world telling off, you know, um, telling off import- important, powerful world leaders. Like I, I, I take my hat off to this <laughs> this girl. She is, she's an absolute sensation so that narrative has a place but it, i don't think it should have uh, the only voice you know um because it's important to to lead people to decision making not always through guilt you know because we're all guilty of the same you know the same um, um misjudgment and the same poor decision making you know all of all of us have areas in our lives that we could be much much better so what i what i'm trying to do consciously is um take examples of situations where it's like i'm not going to tell you how much worse things will be because we both know right but this is how much better things could be and they could be a lot better right and you actually just as i could play play a part in that so with the great realization for example the 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 stimulus there was my my mum said to me on the phone. I can't wait for things to go back to normal. And for some reason that phrase really confounded me because I thought, well, this time a year ago I was writing poems about, you know, homelessness and you know, um, corporations getting to to unhealthy unhealthy levels or or people. Uh, not giving enough of their time to their family or loved ones or us filling up the ocean with plastic bottles or all of these things and it's like this virus has come along and now we want to go back to that it's like don't wish yourself backwards ever there's not necessary you know wish yourself forwards because it's more interesting um and so that that was that was a lot of the of the thought process there it was like It was like, and actually in in the telling of The Great Realisation, I think that that was really, really key because when I was writing it, I thought, is it more optimistic to say, I wish things would get better or to say, I'm setting my story in the future where they did, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. It's like in The Great Realisation, it's a bedtime story looking back and a lot of people ask me, when is that set? Where is that set? And it's like, it's set in the place and time where things got better and i'm i'm deciding definitively that that happened you know and i'm telling my story from that place saying one day we get to look backwards at how the world was the virus and how things improved not i'm telling my story from the present you know <laughs> wide eyed and optimistic that if i keep going that way it will be nice it's like no 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 you can tell people it's possible you know it's possible to manifest the world that you want to live in and that you can be there if you're a storyteller you know and you can encourage people to try and join you there like that's that's cool um and i think i think with with these global issues that confront us all um climate change you know s- systemic racism um discrimination amongst the amongst the genders and amongst the um sexualities and and all of these things i think if you if you want to live in an echo chamber where everyone on your social media feed agrees with what you have to say, that's, that's a strategy that I don't think is uh, very useful, but, but, you know, you see it all the time. You see people angrily condemning the, the unenlightened, you know, and there are many people, myself included, who are unenlightened. And it's like, okay, but you actually, we, we all have to live in this world together and when we have elections they have a vote too you know the people that don't agree with you have a vote too you know if you live in a democracy and if you live in a democracy you should be grateful that you live in a democracy i'm telling you so it's like if you want to live in a democracy the people that don't agree with you also get a say so it's like don't shout at them <laughs> convince them you know inspire them show them your humanity and try and accept theirs because you know You know, there are there are some people who actually I think um, have become part of a group, and maybe maybe they didn't even put much thought into it. You know, maybe they just became part of a group, and now they can't get back (laughs) because because it's it's too tribal, it's too deeply deeply tribal. And so you've got to leave a light on for people to get back. You know, if you make a compelling enough argument, you know, and you need to leave a light on in your mind to uh, to to change course if you're presented with the right evidence or information. Um, and I think this is what, this is what Joe Biden was talking about when he, when he just did his uh, inaugural speech. He was saying like, I want to try and represent the people that didn't vote for me. It's like, well, that's an important thing, you know, and you never heard the president before him saying that. And you don't hear actually many world leaders saying that. I thought that that was quite a healthy thing to say. Um, but just, just so I don't, um, gloss over it, uh, in terms of your question about stories and the narrative of, of um, climate change, I've got a really, really nice uh, thing that happened to me last weekend with my little sister, um, which I think will, will fit quite nicely. And it's, it's leading to a poem that I'm writing at the moment. So I was, I was uh, like cl- playing with my little sister and, and like tidying her bedroom at the same time. And uh, she had this box, <laughs> she had this like little cardboard box in the, in the corner of her room that was under a big pile of clothes, suspiciously, like it was a box that looked like it had been hidden, not that it was just in the corner. And so I, I pull it out and it says, and it's like taped shut, right? And whenever there's a box that looks like it's been hidden, that's taped shut, you want to know what's in the box. And it's, <laughs> and I was like, Sora, what's in here? And she, she was like, she was, she was like give, me back, give me back my turtle box. I was like, what do you mean your turtle box? And she was like, it's my turtle box. And I didn't know what that meant. And I was kind of trying to extract from this seven-year-old girl what she, what she was talking about. And she was basically telling me that it was her box full of turtles. And I was like, okay, well, Sora, you know, there are no turtles in this box. So, you know, I need, I need, I need more. And eventually I convinced her to let me open it. And it was full of um like bottle caps and those those ring things that hold beers together and plastic bags and all this and she had watched a documentary um she had watched a documentary where she'd seen turtles getting caught up in these plastic things and dying and so in her little seven year old mind she figured. And, and the documentary had told her that people had thrown these away. They'd gone into the landfills. They'd gotten into the sea, and they were killing loads of turtles. And so she thought, well, if we stop throwing them away, <laughs> then they're not going to get there. Um, and if I keep them in this box in my room, then you know it's not going to be killing any turtles. And in that moment, I just felt <laughs> like I felt like like waves of just, oh my god, <laughs> that's such a that's such a more powerful story than to shout at me for throwing away, you know, my, my plastic bearings, you know, because one narrative is you shouldn't do that. You're a bad person. The other narrative is, you know, I I keep a box full of turtles in my bedroom because, because the the alternative is, is not what I want to see. And I, 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 I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, fair play to you for being seven and for being, you know, wiser than everyone else. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's gorgeous. So yeah, there's lots of ways to tell stories and, you know, telling off people, I don't know how effective that is. So I would, <laughs> I would encourage people to do it less um, because actually what you kind of figure out is we're all messing up all the time in so many ways (laughs) like and the thing is if you're an incredibly environmentally conscious person you're probably not messing up much there but you're messing up in other places (laughs) right so it's like you know what do you want it's like we all want to be better we're all messing up it's like try and try and encourage (laughs) not 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 wrist slap that's so
1: beautiful that that story actually makes me feel quite emotional. Like, yeah, it gets
0: me. Hey, it's like,
1: it's yeah. I love that you said you're writing a poem about that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm writing a poem now called "A Box Full of Turtles" because it's,
2: awesome. like, it's <laughs> like. I cannot wait to see this next video. That,
1: that's amazing. Yeah, that's so beautiful. That thought of um, how easy it is to call other people out when we have our own shit that we're dealing with that we're not dealing with well, or we're making mistakes as we do. And it's, you know, the, the world is challenging and being human is messy. Um, but I just love that of being someone who is just trying to do what you can do and how that can ripple out and inspire people. That's so lovely. Thank you for sharing that story. That's.
0: Oh, well it's worth it as well, because when you, when you encounter uh, instances of people behaving well makes you feel something really really deeply you know when you when you when you see another human being going out of their way to to make things better than they could have been it gets you (laughs) and it makes you think oh yeah it makes you ask makes you ask those difficult questions to yourself about oh (laughs) I wouldn't mind a little bit of that in my life (laughs) you know and and that's good that's really good leading by example because everyone's mm-hmm. just copying each other, really, <laughs> you know. If-
1: I that that remind me of, oh, sorry, I, I cut you off.
0: No, 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 no. no um,
1: it just reminded me of something that I thought of earlier when you were talking about how happiness is a byproduct of a meaningful life. Yeah. That the way that our culture is right now is so set up to distract people, and especially young people are, are just so susceptible to all the, the technological distractions that we have we don't have space for boredom. We don't have space to come up with these creative ideas, but when you start to dig down and, and do something not for just for yourself, but you know, you taking care of your siblings, taking care of your family, helping to do things in your community, that the byproduct product of that is actually that you feel really good. And that's some of the work that Anne does is educating people on that. Like there's really good, feel good hormones that come from when you engage in this meaningful work.
0: Yeah. from, I don't know all I all I can say is the the most satisfying things um the, the the most satisfying and meaningful experiences I've ever had have always been the most difficult ones right so like like this this path for for ease is 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 a uh, I think a um a missold path you know where we kind of think often that we should try and make things you know we we should live this easy life where we're happy all the time it's like we all know that that's not it you know we all know you don't have to investigate very deep into yourself before you realize that that that's not it you know that the the fantasy of lying on the beach with with the you know with the cocktail is like okay but how long would that be fun <laughs> you know you know before you know before you've got to go and do something productive and useful totally Better. yeah they
2: say having having a purpose no matter how small is really how you it's the fastest track to happiness because that's when you live a fulfilled life so thank you this has been such a deep and such an I don't know, like just meaningful conversation in so many different ways. Uh, we are about to head into our rapid fire questions that we love uh, to kind of finish off this, this episode with, before we do that, where can people find you and uh, where can they see all these incredible videos that you put out?
0: Well, kind of uh, on, on the usual social media. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, if you type in probably Tom Foolery, which is my handle, you'll find me on any of them and all of my videos, or my website is probably Um I have Twitter, but I, I, don't, I don't use Twitter. Uh, Twitter is something that Alex um, insists that we have. So I told him that he had to run it completely and that we could never tweet out thoughts and opinions. We could only tweet out <laughs> links to work that we'd done. Um, because I've never seen um Twitter <laughs> like every time I've seen someone crash and burn it started with Twitter so anyway um, <laughs> you're I wouldn't playing bother it pro- safe I love it <laughs> wouldn't bother following me on Twitter if uh, to be completely honest because it's not me but all all of the other ones are
2: and if you're a kid and wants to sign up to your workshop, can you do that too do you have open spots?
0: yeah so we <laughs> we we put out that call out um and in a in a day, I think uh, two thousand kids signed up, and we, wow. we're doing classes of thirty, so that so that I can actually interact with people. You know, um, uh, I'm hoping that I'm I'm hoping that firstly by doing all of these these two thousand, because then we locked it off, because then we were like, oh my goodness, let's try and get them done. So I'm hoping by doing uh, those classes that I'll figure out how to scale it you know i'll figure out how to maybe turn the video I'll, I'll be able to turn the recordings of what we do into learning resources that i can just mm. review, or whether maybe i can feel bold enough to try and do one of these courses on like a youtube live or an instagram live so that there's no restrictions but before doing that i want to figure out how to do it so yes in the future there'll be more ways
2: okay awesome all right so are you ready for this Rapid fire.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm a rambler though, so I'm awful <laughs> at rapid fire. So. Okay.
2: Well, we're going to have to cut you a little short if you go off too long. So cool. something like a few sentences. Cool. If you can. All right. Okay. Number one, fill in the blank. I believe in a positive future because
0: I believe in a positive future because to believe in the opposite. It's too horrible.
2: <laughs> Great answer. Um, morning bird or night owl?
0: Night owl. The night owl that wants to be a morning bird so badly.
2: You like Robin? <laughs> She's trying to do that too. I want to
0: be a riser and like a oh, it's the paper. <laughs> Such a night owl. <laughs>
2: i pass it at 9 30 p.m i go to bed at that hour and then i'm out like five minutes later so i'm definitely a morning bird i don't get you people anyhow um tea or coffee
0: um was coffee all my life but i gave up six months ago and now i'm obsessed with peppermint tea
2: (laughs) nice um favorite quote
0: oh uh um Dostoevsky wrote, we're all responsible for all. And I thought that's an incredible use of a very, (laughs) very, very few words.
2: I love that. Um, A book you read that really stuck with you.
0: Endurance by Alfred Lansing, Um, which I can tell you, I can tell you what it's about, but I'll break the three sentence rule.
2: Well, we're just gonna have to add it to the show notes, and people can read it.
0: Check it out; it's amazing.
2: Okay, how about a mantra or phrase
1: that you repeat to yourself?
0: I don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't say. I, I wouldn't say. I um. I can't. I, I wouldn't say I consciously do that. Uh, I like what the Monty Python boys did um, with the "the always look on the bright side of life" song. That's not. That's not a bad one. <laughs> Um that's a good place to start
1: <laughs> thanks um if you could instill one change in the world right now that would go into effect immediately and stay forever, what would that be?
0: Gosh wow that's, that's an enormous enormous question <laughs> rapid
1: fire've
0: <laughs> okay. wow. oh, been hit um gosh uh so- I, I I'm not trying to be facetious at all but I don't think that I have enough nearly enough uh wisdom to 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 to, to offer a change that I think should last forever. <laughs> um ah maybe it would be nice if um uh, resources that the, that were that were going to be wasted it was it was a way, the, a way was discovered to redistribute them but but I can't even imagine to think how complicated that would be or how that would work. (laughs) But I hate waste. I hate wastefulness.
1: And you don't have to have the solution. You just have to have the idea. It's about the vision of it. Right. Okay. Well then,
0: then then supermarkets wouldn't throw away food. They'd, They'd give it away. I'd like that. Awesome.
1: Something that you're letting go of.
0: Trying to, I'm trying to let go of, Mm. i'm tr- I'm trying to let go of uh, procrastination to the extent that that's possible and it's 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 like a constant battle that you fail most days but i'm trying to wage a war against the amount of time i spend procrastinating in my life and the way the way that i'm trying to fix it is by rewarding myself with free time if i do the things that i should do uh, instead of letting free time dissolve its way into while i'm working you know yeah.
2: that's a great one also just so you know when you procrastinate you lower your levels of dopamine and when you cross things off your list you actually increase your levels of dopamine so procrastination is a really good one to let go of
0: just- while i was at university then my levels of dopamine must have been flatlining <laughs> <laughs> oh <it> was
2: awful
1: <laughs> oh <I hear> you. <laughs> Um, something you're inviting more of?
0: Uh, Conversation.
1: Awesome. Very good for an extrovert. And the last question is, what does being an optimist in action mean to you?
0: Being an optimist in action means trying to leave things better than you found them. I would say. I think actually that would be the most peaceful last thought that you could possibly have in your life. If you, if you knew your time was up and you were kind of fading and you could truthfully say to yourself that you left things better than you found them, I think that would be quite peaceful.
2: Are you someone who wants to make positive change and work for a sustainable world? Do you want to wake up in the morning and feel excited about the future and the power we have to make a difference? If you're someone who wants to be on the right side of history as we co-create a new kind of world, then the Climate Optimist Masterclass is for you. I built this class to empower you to make small changes in your life that will have a huge positive impact on climate change. You'll walk away with the tools and mindset necessary to keep going and to enact change for yourself and for the world for many years to come. It wasn't until the day I realized that activism can be truly fun and empowering that my life changed for real. And I hope that you too feel like you're ready for this journey. So if this sounds like something for you, or if you just want to learn more, head over to the show notes and click the link for Climate Optimist Masterclass. I created a special link only for hey Change listeners with a 40% discount. That's 40% discount, you guys, on an eight-week course that I know will be nothing short of transformative. Spots are limited, so click the link in the show notes to claim your spot today. I really look forward to changing the world with you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from
1: our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go,
2: we'd like to invite you to pause and to think about this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?